Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Boom. What's up everybody? It's your coach. Super pumped about today's episode. Before we get into that, today's episode is brought to you by the Coach HP show loaded with positivity. Number 1 Positivity show on the internet, authentic, not corny, not vanilla, but real. Pushing positivity 24-7, bringing you people that have made it through their journeys, through their stories, through their ups, their downs, their fails. Legitimate, serious, hardworking people. No No lottery winners here. On today's episode, we have Miami hip-hop pioneer, my man DJ EFN, such a cool dude, a guy who cares, a guy who care, he cares about hip-hop, cares about the history of music, cares about the city, cares about the culture, is doing so many good things, so many work things from his podcast, Fatherhood's podcast, to has crazy hood store he has the going home films where he documents going back to your places of origin he did cuba he did vietnam which was crazy he's done a bunch of them colombia's coming up and if you know him from anything the number one thing of his that's popping up right now is drink champs with nori noriega absolutely crushing it i strongly urge you to subscribe, check out. I'm going to put all the links below. Drink Champs on YouTube, Instagram, podcasts, wherever podcasts are found. Crushing it. The last episode with Pitbull, to me, was probably one of the best ones, but they've had everybody from Pitbull, 50 Cent, P. Diddy, DJ Khaled, Nas, and the list goes on and on, and the future guests are going to keep going on and on and on. So without without further delay, a man that's been doing this for a real long time and is winning now on all levels, my brother, DJ EFN on the Coach HP Show. Let's go. Boom, three, two, one, we're on. Real Miami legend, dude. Real Miami legend here. Appreciate that. If they would have told you, because I think, uh, let me tell you why I'm so proud of you, man. You're a guy that even though it looks like you've been at this for a little bit of time, you've been at this for a real long time, dude. And you've shown incredible patience. E, is that something you were born with, bro? Or did you learn how to be patient and pick your spots? Bro, I'm an impatient person. Yeah? I, I mean, by nature. But 
Um, I don't know where I learned it for what I do, man. I just I think I do understand that um, if you have high aspirations or, or 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 dreams that might seem out of reach when you first start to you know conceive them, that you it's just gonna take a while, man. It's just you know you gotta be patient. You gotta let the process uh, work itself out. Um, and you gotta you gotta connect dots that take a while. If they would have told the kid from Sunset Straight High up. School that you'd be where you're at right now, bro, did you think about that at some point, or were you just following your heart? Did you make calculated moves? How'd you get here, man? Um, I definitely made calculated moves, but along the way, and sorry, I just want to make my audio is good for you. Um, along along the way, you have to adjust those calculations um, because of all the different, you know, random things that get thrown at you, the barriers, the, the, the closed doors. I mean, all these things that you know are going to happen, but you just have to constantly, you know, recalculate and, and just, but I'm always trying to keep things very relatable in my world. I'm not, I don't like personally to stray too far, you know, from, from the base of whatever I was doing or been doing. And if I can keep it on brand, basically, my whole thing is building a brand, building a reputation, then then the calculations, it's just not it's not too far away from the original plan, you know? E, and especially, bro, in the music business, that word reputation brand, that's very flimsy, dude, because you have guys coming in, coming out, super young. How have you been able to keep that, man? How have you been able to say, okay, this is who I am. I'm going to stick this way or I'm going to add this. How have you been able to do that? Really, man, it was what what attracted me to to hip hop music and hip hop culture was, you know, not that everybody in hip hop is, you know, has these attributes, but what what caught my attention was being genuine, being authentic, you know, creating your own lane, not not copying other people, not biting. Um, all these things spoke to me, and I wanted, you know, like. I wanted that to be a part of what 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 who I was and what my brand was and what we brought to the table for Miami and then later for for a national scene. And that that's 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 it. Those things, man. If I could stick to that, you know, just be authentic, be genuine, be yourself, um which is what hip hop taught me early on and for me to continue to to kind of like pass that jewel on to the to other people in the next generation or whatever, that's what you know, that's the way I kept it together, man. Bro, you mentioned Miami and Miami vibe and all stuff, man. In your words, because you're one of the few guys that I could talk to about this and you get it. Mm -hmm. What is the Miami vibe, bro? In your words, what, what, how would you explain that? Fuck, man. That's, that's, that's a, it changes, man, over time. Miami has right. changed a lot, you know, from, from when I first, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not born in Miami. I was born in Los Angeles and raised in Miami from the 80s. I uh, went to junior high here and on. But, um, what I think is so dope about Miami and what makes Miami special and, and creates that Miami vibe is, is that, that, um, that gumbo of all the different cultures, you know? And, and I think that's what makes us special, mainly the Caribbean more than anything else. I feel like having, and, and we can't just say, you know, just I'm Cuban, so we can't just say Cuban alone, but, but you know, there's Puerto Ricans and there's Dominicans and there's Jamaicans and there's Haitians. And although, at times, it's felt like we've been very segregated. Really and truly, the beauty of Miami is when it's all those cultures come together and, and, and create the Miami vibe, you know? 
the the way you said that, man, is awesome because I see you as a as a hip hop historian, dude. Like really, Appreciate really, really, really into it. For for me, I lived in Los Angeles for six years. I'm Cuban from here, mm -hmm. but then I moved over there. Then I came back here. So you My, know the LA vibe, <laughs> dude. I know the LA vibe. Is, listen. I don't know. I mean, I, this is a good question. Now that you brought that up, there's nothing, in my opinion, like being Cuban away from Miami. Yep. Because we pop, bro. We have this special <laughs> thing, and then here, everyone, we're all Cuban, so right. it's like whatever, dude. But that thing is special. But my first hip hop, if I can remember, was N.W.A. and being in Miami and Beastie Boys. That was my first hip hop. What was your first hip hop? Oh, my first. It's probably like close to Beasties for sure. Uh, MC Shy D being in Miami, um, Run DMC. I mean, there's a lot of things that are, that that were getting into my tape decks. I was I was heavy into into metal and rock when I was a kid, and punk rock. I was a skater, and but through that skate world, the skater world, um, other skaters were like also into hip hop, and then slowly. Hip hop was getting into, like I said, into my tape deck because to me it was like counterculture music, and that's why I was into like metal and punk because it was counterculture. Oh yeah, you mentioned skating. What was your favorite skateboard that you got? Oh, bro, Mark Gonzalez, man. Yeah, you know that's my favorite skater of all time, and and it's funny because he was a graffiti artist, and and you know he he like I think he was into hip hop as well. I mean, he's still around and. He he yes, Mark Gonzalez skateboards, man. And in fact, I'm trying to cop an old school Mark Gonzalez and put it on my wall one of these days. Dude, let's talk about your relationship with your dad, man. I I know he was, if I'm not mistaken, a military guy. Yeah, Marine. Being a son of a military guy can go either way. You either have a dad who's MIA and he's always out, or yeah. he's super hardcore on you, bro. Right, right. How was he? How was your relationship with him? Now Pops wasn't in the picture too much. Um Reason why we got to Miami from L.A. was my parents uh, separated when I was really young in L.A. He moved over here. You know, we could kind of like equate that now understanding even Kendall in the 80s, why he even came over here. He's a vet. He he had went to college uh, through the whatever VA fund. He So he had an, an accounting degree. So imagine an accounting degree. He's a he's a Vietnam veteran. He's a Marine. He He's Cuban. He comes to Miami in the 80s. He, he, you know, he was doing his thing out here, and so you know that actually worked against the fa family dynamic, and and we try, my parents tried to work it out, and that's how I ended up in Miami, and he, he just wasn't, you know, it just didn't work out for them, and and in turn, it he wasn't around as much, if anything, he wasn't a, you know, it was more, I was more raised by a single mother, if anything. How did that adversity, bro? How did that help you, man? Because listen. I'm a little bit about me. I'm the biggest failure in the history of Miami baseball by far. Okay. Right. I wish my dad prepared me for everything in life except to deal with him. Right. So I wish the dude would have been MIA, but it was a reverse. He was with me 24 7, dude. How did that help you? Because being raised by a single mom, it, it kind of makes you tough, but it makes you super vulnerable too because you have that woman in your life and you become yeah. that way. How did that affect you and the way you you grew up? I mean, it affected me a lot. And, and I talk about this quite often and even have been able to insert it in, in my in my music and stuff that I, I produce and create. But, um, you know, my mom, you know, hard worker and, and, and she did everything she could on her end. But missing that father figure, especially 
being a young kid in the 80s, growing up in Miami, um, and growing up anywhere, you know, young man, you're, you know, I'm basically thrown to the wolves, and my mom, you know, is more the sensitive motherly person, and so I'm not getting kind of like that street knowledge side or that machismo side that I kind of need to make the balance. But um, it's so awesome you brought that up because I was, we're, we're people that don't understand, that don't understand us Cubans. Mm-hmm. We have this testosterone machismo thing that is yeah. in all of us. Right. Some of us have it more, some of us have it less. And it's not, especially you, dude, because since you didn't have a dad, it's not taught to us how to deal right. with that, how to be humble, how to be chill, and how to not right. be attacked, dude. And it feels like your mom kind of helped you with that. How did you handle that in high school, bro? Well, really quick, I, I don't want to completely say my dad completely was out of the picture. He was in and out always. And there was times where he came at the right time and insert, inserted himself. But for the most part, he wasn't around. And for the most part, we didn't have a good relationship, even to this day, which he's he's still alive and with us. Um, but the one thing that I did to, to create that balance for myself, which kind of maybe, you know, this is where the crazy and crazy has started to come in, is, you know, knowing about my dad being a Vietnam vet, him being a Marine, I aspire to 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 be in the military. I aspired to go to war. I, I, I became a student of, of the Vietnam war and of many wars. Like I just kind of became like a amateur war historian, tactician. And so like in my mind, I had been to war already in a past life. I was in Vietnam. Like, so basically what I was doing is I was creating kind of like this figment in my imagination of like this or something to replace my father and to give me those those macho, that macho side for me and to, and to toughen me up because I was dealing with, you know, shit when I would leave the house out in the streets, you know, I'm dealing with gangs. I'm dealing with just, you know, there was even racial shit going on in, 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 in junior high and shit. And people were just beefing for no damn reason. And so I needed something to, to, you know, supplement not having pops there to like, you know, teach me to defend myself and the, all that war stuff and all this stuff later in, in the future helped me because I used, uh history and and strategy from all this stuff that i kind of like absorbed to to help me you know fast forward in life like in business and life it it helped me a lot hell yeah bro hell yeah the djing part Mm -hmm. when did it cross your brain that dude i'm gonna be a i'm gonna get into djing when did that come across Man, um, I wanted to be a DJ from early on, uh, seeing just like the DJ's role in 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 the in the hip hop groups and the hip hop acts. I just thought that was the cool dude, you know, the one who controlled the vibe. And even going to, I remember being young and going to Hot Wheels. I don't know if you know, you know, Monday night to Hot Wheels, yeah, bro. Hot don't Wheels. Tell yeah, go to Hot Wheels <laughs> and just the DJ. I don't know if it was DJ Laz or who it was DJing there. DJ but, Zog, it was one of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. Zog, I was. Zog's I, young. I, I, Zog, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he would have been hella young. <laughs> but um, I remember just the DJ, just like the way that they could control the 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 that, the energy in the room and the people. I just was like, man, that I got to do that. But I didn't have the money to, to DJ. So at first I started using two double tape decks and creating pause tapes and messing with the pitch and recording off the radio to get records. And then, you know, fast forward. Um, I got like my first little turntable set up off of the back of the source magazine. It was the DJ starter kit. And then you weren't really a DJ in my mind. So you had technique 1200s. And that's where at one point my father was kind of around and, and, you know, he kind of like, he helped me cop my first 1200s. Dude, it's funny you said that because man, I, I like to, I'm 
an extremist in the positivity world. I am a big fan of positivity. Maybe if your dad would have been around like a classic Cuban American father, he would have been like, tú estás loco, de que deja eso DJ, muchacho, you para la escuela. For sure. You know, but the fact that maybe he felt guilty, like, dude, I'm not around. Look, let me wing this guy over. Let me hook him up. That's key. You know, do you ever think about that? Absolutely. Yeah. Everything had to happen how it happened. I mean, if you would have, if you asked me, would I wish to have had a normal family with my father there? And yeah, of course. And I think there would have been a lot of things that I had dealt with that I wouldn't have had to, but you, we can't do, we can't go backwards. We can't redo so whatever had to happen happened, and everything that did happen created, you know, the person I am today and helped me. Um, and, and I gotta look at it in the positive side of how it helped me. And so, yeah, for sure, he would have been like, "Yo, stop that shit." But whenever he came <laughs> around, he probably felt guilty, and I would be like, "Yo, I'm trying to get these turntables, or I'm trying to do this," and he'd be like, "Here, kid, you know." <laughs> I'm trying to get a skateboard. Oh yeah, I'm trying to get a skateboard. Oh, yeah, Here you for go, sure. <laughs> <laughs> dude. So. You opened a store. Am I correct? You opened like you had a hip hop store goods. with Eddie, my, my homie Eddie Giggs. Yeah, shout out to Eddie Giggs. How old were you when you opened that store? Nineteen ninety-seven. So that would have made me, I think, 20, 20, 21 years old. So maybe? you're class of what? Nineties. Ninety-three. So I'm ninety. I'm class of ninety-seven. So we're we're almost there. Yeah. Bro, that's like on some entrepreneurial shit because nobody back then was doing something like that. Yeah. What made you do that? There was a couple other stores. There was the back way. There was the point uh, locally, like in, in, in South Miami, Kendall, Westchester area. But we, myself and, and my boy, Eddie Giggs, we were looking at it and we're like, man, there's no real like hip hip hop store. Like there was these, these stores were hip hop stores, but they were also like slash head shops, you know, for, you could buy like all the weed paraphernalia and stuff. And, um, or they, or they just, I don't know, or just the store was kind of like super underground ish. And I just felt like, man, we can create something that uh, just aesthetically looked a little bit better and was just about hip hop. You know, I, I didn't smoke. So I was like, I'm not really into that that culture necessarily. I mean, my boys did, but I didn't. And I wanted a mother to be able to bring her kid in there and not feel like this is the wrong place to bring my kid because there's a pipe there, you know, or there's baggies. So we just it was just focused on hip hop. And it was, you know, we had hip hop clothing that was hard to find at the time, you know. Later on, we closed because certain things happened, and then you could buy it at Birdines. You know, that's an old school store, not open anymore. Now Bird Macy's, <laughs> but uh, back then you could. It was hard to get hip hop gear, like straight up hip hop gear, um, and these brands. So yeah, man, we that we just saw an opening, and we decided to open the store. E, you talked about there about caring, man, caring about the mom child experience in a store. That's one of the qualities I think, dude, that has you as successful as you are now, bro. You're a caring dude. You care about the culture. You care about Miami. You care about the community. How how has that happened in your life? Did that always was there or did that come after? I think it was always there, man, because I, I think I just thought about myself and anything that I endured as a, as a young kid and maybe hoping that I could help someone not have to deal with that, you know? Um I remember, yeah, being in high school and talking about like, man, if I ever get on, I'm going I'm to put money into like a, a, you know, like a after school, you know, spot, like a YMCA type of thing for kids or or I'm going to do Big Brother or stuff, something like that. So and then I've had like godchildren and, 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 and young since I was young, my friends started having kids young and I was always trying to be involved in their lives. But, yeah, it's just something I care about. I'm trying to be a, a, a decent example. Can't say perfect example because that's the thing. At the end of the day, we're all human. 
And at the end of the day, people correlate like caring with being a square. We were definitely not squares. You know, we we had our hood shit going on too, you know, hence crazy hood. But I knew that the big picture for me was, hey, man, let's do right by people. And let's try to do something positive in the long run, even if sometimes we might get involved in something negative. Yeah, I see that a lot, man. When I see you on Drink Champs, I see that how you care about the guests. I see how you protect them. I see how you protect Nori. Like if you see a little, like you kind of like are the guy that you wait to strike and it's balancing, <laughs> balancing the, the thing in the middle. Right. Like, oh, wait, yeah. well, we're going this way. Let's go this way. And I see that, man. And I really want you to focus on that. And maybe you focus on it naturally, but I think that's one of your biggest virtues, bro. Appreciate your ability it, to care, man. Care about what's in front of you and what's, uh, what's going on. Bro, I'm known as the kid whisperer. People, okay. I get about 500, 1,000 DMs a week. Parents with kids with baseball and sports and going crazy with that stuff. You have two kids. I think yep. we're almost in the same boat that I had. I had my son a week ago. Oh, wow. Congrats, man. Thank you, bro. You had, what is it, He's a daughter three, or a son? My son is three months old and my daughter's two years old. Two years old. Same combination as you. Oh, I have, an, I have a two-year-old that turns two now and this weekend. And the boy is young, so I have that combo, bro. Right. Being a dad, I said there's nothing like being a father of a girl. At least till she gets to high school, then it's going to suck. But right. for now, it's awesome. How did you view life now that you're a parent in hip-hop, in doing what you're doing? Do you think about that? Like, bro, my son's going to see me one day. Let me alternate this. Or are you like the same way? No, no, it's definitely changed. And I knew that I've always cared so much about my future children before I had them. Again, going back to just thinking about like how much I care about kids and whatnot, that um, I knew that I didn't want to have kids young, like my friends were having them, because I, I, I just wanted to make sure that I got everything I wanted to do out of the way and that I would never blame having a family on anything, you know, anything not happening or, or, or flourishing or whatever. How old were you when you got married, E? Me and my girl are married. Um, When you first started dating, like five years ago, yeah, it's a good age, bro. But they don't teach us that when we're young, and, and like you said, a lot of us make the mistake of early, early. I got married at 37. It's a great age for us guys, man. I think we should talk about that more. We don't do that, and maybe now guys don't settle down that quick. But before, definitely in our era, right. guys were doing that high school sweetheart or college girl, and then you don't live life, man. Yeah, I mean, and but and by me saying I'm not married, I'm practically married and, and we're together i want to just get that clear it's just <laughs> no you're good <laughs> and, and my and my girl you know definitely you know she she wants she's ready to get married but i i have a thing that's obviously my personal thing with my parents getting divorced so i'm just like you don't want to jinx it huh I, yeah I, and i've seen all my friends get married and divorced i'm just like i don't know that's not the business for me you know like i don't need you know something else to tell me we're together we're together you know and i'm and, and i'm loyal to the situation and that's what it is you know and we have a family together and that's the most important thing yeah i don't know why women don't get that dude especially after after an age after right. you because i can understand you're 23 whatever but at this age now what's important is the commitment the honesty and the communication man right. how long have you been so you've been with your girl for five years uh yeah I'm, I'm better not mess it up, but I'm pretty sure it's pretty. It's I'll edit it. I'll edit it, bro. We'll put it in. <laughs> no, no. I mean, we'll put it in. I have Bacardi brain, so <laughs> it's give or take a year, give or take a name. So, dude, five years to be in a relationship in where you're at right now. 
especially now. Now you're getting to your most popular point. How do you deal with it, man? Is it just somebody like, okay, thank God I'm in this part of my life. Do you stay ultra focused? How, how do you deal with that? Uh, what? How do I deal with what exactly? Just that. There being a relationship and, and what you're doing, bro, because. No, it's not. It's not easy. Like, let's just be real. It's, it's not easy. Um, I'm not, I'm not necessarily concentrating on, I'm on the most successful point of my career or any of that stuff. I mean, yeah, what, Drink Champs is, is one of the most successful things that I've been a part of um, and involved in. But I feel like I've done so much and I, and there's been a lot of things I've been a part of that, that behind the scenes aren't seen. You know, people don't know that I'm a part of that. And, um, and, and every, every, like even small successes to me, it's all a part of the journey. So to me, it's like, there's nothing different about the situation, even with drink champs. It just means more work right. and having kids and having a family does. And now quarantine and the pandemic and all this crazy shit, bro. It's definitely stressful. So there's no real, I mean, there's no real right way to answer. How am I dealing with it? I'm, it's really day by day. You know, I have small children. I have a, a my three month. I'm still in the, in the trenches with not sleeping. My girl's definitely not sleeping. Um, my daughter, the minute she wakes up, you know, it's it's a live wire. You know, like all day. Yeah. What'd you name the boy? Uh, his name. He's a junior. He's Eric. Eric Junior. Eric yeah. Junior. When you talked about, you've done a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff behind the scenes. After that store, is that when you started representing? artists and stuff like that or when did that happen no the first thing i ever did before even djing officially was represent artists that was the one thing that i knew i could pride like like i kind of got a sense of what i had to do is basically get artists in the studio and put together their like demo and then try to shop it to a label and i did that right out of high school um uh, what i did is i took engineering classes at miami Dade community college I had my homies and my crew take it so we can get the free studio time because we didn't have the money to go into a, a legit studio. Right. And we used all that free studio time to create a demo for this group called Poetic Symbols, which are all homies from high school, from Sunset. And that was the first thing I did. And I just and I've been representing artists and developing artists like consistently. And that was the first thing I did. You like doing that? You like that part of the business? Not anymore. <laughs> Not, Why? I, Too much work? or It's just... It's a you managing and developing artists. Um, it's a lot of work and it's a lot of um, self sacrifice. And in the long run, you know this this whole entertainment and and even art is such an ego driven business that you know once you you know when you deal with an artist who's new and they 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 listen to everything they they're just like a clean slate. They want you to help them with everything. And then once they get to a level of any kind of recognition. They know it all, and you don't know shit anymore. I'm like, fuck this guy. That's it. It's not even about fuck this. It's just like it becomes like a fight, and then you're just like, fuck all this time and money I've invested in this person for this person to not even listen anymore, or they think they know it all. And it's just like, and I'm not saying they're wrong, but it's just like, it's just, I don't feel that uh, the ROI is, is enough in that, you know, the return on investment. And I just rather not deal with it. I mean, I still work with artists that I've worked with for years, and I try to build these like loose affiliations where it's like, Let's work together, and if I bring you business, I take a cut, and if and if I don't, then you know you do your own thing, and we just work together, kind of like as friends, bringing business to each other. I rather those kind of relationships and and dealing with artists. Yeah, I get you, bro. It's dealing, being a leader, dealing with people is is, is tough, man. Yeah. It's real tough, and it's, and you don't know how hard it is till you're in it. And then after, when I was in Las Vegas, I ran a club called Hide in the Bellagio. 
and you want challenge, bro, try being the guy in charge of 20-year-old dudes in Las Vegas that are hosts that are paid to drink and have people spend money on alcohol. Right. It's the most crazy thing in the world. And you got to have that special quality skills to deal with different personalities and different things. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's all I've ever done. My crew, you know, was is like 10 deep dudes, all different personalities that I've had to like manage. And, and that's what's helped me. You know, that's what's been a big part of learning patience was dealing with my crew and, and keeping them together to the point where people look at us and they're like, man, you still got the same crew from, you know, 93. And that's a blessing. These are my brothers. These, you know, this is my family. That's interesting, dude, because I don't talk to anybody from 93, bro. <laughs> you, yeah. the fact that you've been able to do that, that group of guys, have, have they grown with you? Or like, are they in the same business? Or are they nine to five guys? You have like an accountant, you have like a lawyer. Like, what do those guys do? It's it's all over the place. And that's what I think was our saving grace that we've all came to a realization that this this music thing that we were all pursuing wasn't going to pay the bills for everybody. And once we all kind of came to grips with that as a crew, individuals in the crew said, well, you know what? I'm still in the crew and I'm still going to play a supporting role. And maybe one day it will pay the bills, but I'm going to be, you know, we're going to all be realistic and I'm going to go back to college or I'm going to go and get this job and, and I'm going to do this. And that's what saved us as a crew, people being realistic about it and me being realistic with the crew. Like, I, you know, there's times like, you know, like imagine when the housing bubble crashed as an entrepreneur, as a, as a businessman, you know, it damn near ruined me and it ruined a lot of people. You know, had had the guys all been relying on just me and, and Crazy Hood, everybody would have been, you know, would have hit the floor. But people went and got degrees and, and people have professional careers. But at the end of the day, we all come back and we're all still Crazy Hood and they're all very supportive of the movement and nice. involved in different projects. Nice, dude. Yeah. Did you ever think about quitting music? Did that ever cross your mind? Only in that time period. When the housing, what would you have done? What, what were you, what were you thinking, bro? That's the problem. I was like, what the fuck am I going to do? I've been doing this since I, I never had like a legit job, you yeah, know, like yeah, I've, yeah. I've helped, like my dad had businesses that I helped manage and work with him for a bit, but our relationship was crap. So I can't really count that. And, you know, I've, and as a kid, I passed out flyers for like a pizza shop and, and no, and I worked at a plant nursery one summer, which that was the hardest shit I ever did in my life. Um, <laughs> off of, you know, down here in Homestead. But uh, but not other than that, I've never had a job other than doing something in the music business. And so when when everything the bubble burst, it it really just it humbled me, it floored me, and I was like, "What the fuck am I? Am I gonna have to go back to school? You know, or am, which I was like, you know, and I had I had gone back to school a couple years back just to get my my finish some credits because I left I had left Miami Day before I even got my um my two year degree. And my mom was always devastated, you know, like a Cuban mom. She's like, oh, my God. And my mom worked at Miami Day, so I was <laughs> oh able to go God. for free. Holy shit. Dude, I was talking to somebody. I got stuck in fucking remedial world. <laughs> I, I was like in class. I said, I went to Braddock, bro. So right. I, I got stuck there, and I'm in class with these people that just came from Venezuela and Colombia that are learning English for the first time. And I'm <laughs> so well. Uh, yeah, and I'm like in uh, English 003. I'm right. like, holy shit, bro. Did that happen to you too? Did you get stuck like in remedial classes at all or no? Nah, I didn't get stuck in remedial classes. I was just I was just a bad student. I, I just wasn't focused. On, books were never 
I could never learn off of books. I needed to learn off of seeing and doing. Right. And and I had my teachers were all just like, ah, you're going to be a, a criminal. You know, they would tell my mom, you know, I almost went to MacArthur. You know MacArthur? Yeah. I almost got sent to MacArthur. <laughs> like it was, I was bad, man. And, and, but, uh, but no, I wasn't in remedial courses. <laughs> <laughs> Horrible, bro. That Miami date is tremendous scam, dude. Yeah, it is Miami date. Yeah. But, I mean, but I went back just to finish the story. I went back. My mom had went to LA to visit our family one summer. And I said, you know what? As a gift to my mom, let me go back. And I had to pay this time for my credits, which were free, which is no why way. she was so pissed. And I get it, you know? She was like, you could have gone to school free. And then I went, I, I fucking aced the course. I was like two classes, like an English class and a math class. Uh, ace the motherfuckers, you know, like I was like, oh shit, look at me, look at me, shit. man, yeah, yeah, it's weird Dude, when you focus, huh? It's weird, shit. it's weird when you focus on something. Oh, all dude in the class, you know, I'm like, like the kids are talking, I'm like, yo, shut the fuck up, I'm trying to listen to the teacher, <laughs> and um, and I and my mom comes back, I take her to dinner and I give her the diploma, and she thought that I made it up, like she's like, <laughs> I was like, no, it's legit, dude, I graduated. Oh my god, AA, buddy, that AA, man, yeah, dude, when. The 2000s come in your life, that era of the 2000s. Where did you see music? Where did you find your niche, man? Where did you find your voice in that? I didn't like the direction hip-hop was going into, to be honest with you. I still don't like a lot of the direction. I mean, there's a lot of great young artists now, though. Um, I just said, let me just stick to what I know, but be... but but. Verse myself on what's going on. So I'm not e, what didn't you like? What didn't you like about the hip? Like it was too soft. Everybody sounded the same. Yeah, man. I just, I really was into like, I was really into lyrics, you know, in hip hop. I, I thought that the evolution of getting smarter and smarter was dope. And in turn, we were getting smarter. Like most of my vocabulary came from lyrics in music. And it wasn't from going to an English class. And if I didn't know the word they were saying, I would look it up. Like, oh, shit, what the fuck this guy just spit? Like, I want to understand. Is that common with Miami dudes? I don't think that's common with Miami people. Oh, no, it? not at all. Not at all. I mean, so you well, have, yeah, like a New York. It's And no, I know no, you no. don't like that it's New York stuff, but it's like an it's a smart thing to do. Well, well I don't want to say that. I think that's not fair to say it's not common in Miami because there was a lot uh, like a, a hip hop scene in Miami that supported this type of hip hop. And we had this artist named Mother Superior. I talk about her a lot um, throughout the Drink Champs history. And I have her on my one of my most recent projects. They used to call her the female Nas, and she's from Ghouls, oh, wow. and and she had songs talking about uh, bottom. She's the you ever heard the, the term the bottom talking about Miami? No, Where I haven't. Say, you never heard people call it the bottom no. or the bottom of the map? Well, well, a lot of people say that, and she coined that term. She had a song called the bottom of the map, and and you know, and there was a lot of artists like her at the time. It was all lyrics. It was all lyrics. The just the difference between our lyrics and New York lyrics or somewhere else is talking about Miami stuff. And 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 so that was my whole thing. Like that's when Outcast came out, represent in terms of like lyrical content from the South. I, that was to me like that's the epitome of that. That was Goody Mob, the epitome of that, you know. But then the music started changing, and we can go into conspiracies and all kinds of different things. But at the end of the day, what was selling wasn't lyrics, um, and the style of hip hop, even in New York, started to fizzle out because the South kind of took over and this, the like Little John and all this stuff. And I and I love Little John, but it's just like. This form of music that was less lyrical and more about like the party, sexy, and yeah, yeah, and I think we went more like kind of like leaning towards the EDM side of things versus leaning towards like a hip hop side of things. Like hip hop, like was in limbo, and and I just wasn't in into that into that vibe. E is the biggest person to come out of Miami. Is it Pitbull? 
Uh, yeah, I would say he's probably the biggest, most international artist for sure. Isn't that crazy? And I don't hip-hop remember. Wise. Yeah, hip hop. I don't remember when he came out, him getting a lot of love. Did he no. or no? No, no. That he taught me a huge lesson, including with myself, because I wasn't a, a a big like a believer right from the get on Pit. I had my own Cuban artist Garcia that I was working, you know, so. What what was dope about Pitt is that he he was a workhorse and he was trying to get there by any means necessary. And people didn't believe in him. But what happens is his work ethic made people start to believe. Then, you know, he gets a deal and he has a, a, a record that's bubbling on radio. And then obviously more and more believers start coming in. And what what I saw, which which taught me a lesson, was he could have easily shitted on all these people. Like, you know, he could have easily said, ah, now you want to be down with me, the radio guys, the you know, anybody, you know, in the industry. But instead, as he harnessed that and said, opened his arms, showed them love. And it kind of like they were like, damn, man, this dude could could easily, you know, just turn his back on us because we didn't believe in him. Right. But it's, he's acting like that never happened. And he's showing us love. And then what happens is you made your your the the biggest detractors of yours become your biggest supporters. Because they're just like in awe that you just like, you know, like didn't you didn't it didn't bother you that they didn't that they weren't supporting you. Like you just like on some Jesus shit. You know what I'm saying? Like but they don't see that's so important. I love you said that because they don't talk to us about when we're growing up and we're and now see success before you would see it. I would see you in bro in a Porsche, an example. And be like, oh, right. look at E, oh, whatever, whatever. But now because of social. We see everything that's going on. And then now I'm sure you're seeing a lot of that because there's probably a lot of people that, bro, didn't give you a shot of the day that now are like, oh, hey, what's up, dude? Hey, man, you don't remember me? Whatever, whatever. How do you deal with that, man? Are you like, hey, bro, keep him at bay? Or do you kind of do 50-50? How do you deal with that, bro? Yeah, it's 50-50. It depends on the type of person. There's a lot of weirdos that have nothing to do with nothing that were haters, just regular haters that come around and they're like, in your DMs, like, oh, hey, man, oh, now you act like you don't know. Those people have nothing to do with nothing. So I don't, right. I just don't deal with those type of people. If it's industry folk, again, going back to the lesson from Pitbulls, you don't take it personal. Because why should anybody believe in you? It is not their job to believe in you. It is your job to make them believers, you know, ah, and, you, so and for good, you to believe bro. in yourself. That is so, so good. So if you see it that way, you don't take it personal, you know, because it's all jobs. And then once they come on board, you just bring them, you know, under the, in the fray. Like, you're like, let's go. Let's move, you know. And, and, and it, that's how you build your network. That's how you be, build your whole infrastructure. And so when when people like that come into the into the fray and they hit me up and they, yo, let's work. Well, I, I, okay, let's work. It, I take it on what it is. It's work. All right, let's work. And, that, and that's kind of what I learned from Pitt. Like, I just don't take it personal. Unless somebody disrespects me, I, will, I don't take it personal. You don't take it personal. Yeah. E, how did you deal with expectations, bro? Because... When we're in this world that isn't the corporate world, everything is word of everything is on verbal stuff, unless you get to a point that it's a written contract or whatever. Right. But everything's like, yeah, bro, I got you, I got you. And you're like, oh my God, this guy said yes, whoever it was, right? How'd you deal with expectations, bro? Because I'm sure a lot of people lied to your face. Yeah, like, I have yeah, no bro. expectations. And they had, and then they got amnesia, zero expectations, yeah. right? I have no expectation of nobody. Like, it doesn't matter who it is. I call it industry talk. I just, I'm not going to name the name. I just had a, a meeting the other day with someone really big. And I just told them, hey, I'm just going to let you know, man, if this is industry talk, you know, 
I'm, I'm just putting you on front street right now. I don't want to deal yeah, with it. I'm out of here. <laughs> yeah, because it, and what's funny about industry talk is it, it's probably it they, people mean well when they're talking to you, you know, and sometimes it's because they got a little liquor at a, at a little, you know, party or whatever, or sometimes just it, people just don't know what to say. They just start promising and talking fast. I just, I really don't, I don't, I don't believe in any of it. I just, I take it as it comes. Like, let's, let's, you know, as I, I will believe it when I see it. And I, and I teach this to everybody that's around me. Um, there's like people that I work with now that like, I have like an assistant that he works with me and I, and I've always been teaching him this. And he's like, yo, this is crazy. The amount of industry talk, the amount of people that are real people in the industry that say something to you, promise something and flat out just don't do it. I've had a guy look at me in the face. I, I, I achieved a little bit of success later on in life. I was a 38 year old guy. Imagine vlogging around the, in the baseball fields in Miami. How, how right. horrible is that? And everybody killing me. Everybody's like, who, who does this guy think he is? And the only people that got me were the little kids. The little kids were like, vlogger, vlogger, what's your YouTube? And I'm there like an idiot recording myself. Everybody hating on me. But I've had, we're talking about very famous, known people, decision makers, look me in the face and say, dude, you're perfect for this. I'm going to do this, 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 and that. And literally 24 hours later, get amnesia and never, never, ever again, bro. Right. So I tell people the two things you can control in life. I want to see if you agree with me is your effort and your attitude forever. Mm -hmm. I don't care if you had one dad, seven dads, two moms, whatever it is, tall, short, Cuban, not Cuban effort and attitude. Do you agree with that or no? No, I do. I 100% agree with that. For sure, yeah, man. Yeah, bro. Yeah, yeah. Let me talk about something that me and you share together. We both share the same haircut. <laughs> Losing your hair. How did you deal with that, bro? <laughs> I, I mean, just like my white beard, I just dealt with it. And even today, I told my girl, man, I think I need to shave my head right now, man. I got too much hair growing right now. Dude, uh, I hit it. I hit it every day. I... uh. Bro, I did because I did the acting thing. Mm -hmm. I did the hair surgery. Oh yeah, was a comp don't do. If anybody asks you, don't ever do the hair. No, surgery. no I, would, I would never shave that, that shit. <laughs> no, just but I did, bro. No, 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 I was a fucking idiot. <laughs> but uh, because I wasn't myself, and that's one thing mm. that I credit you a lot, bro. You found yourself very young, man, and maybe having to be a man early, you found that. But to me, having my dad on top of me, my dad enslaved me twenty four seven just to make me a baseball player, bro. And I had identity issues for a real long time. And, and that cost me, man. And I don't think we talk about this a lot. Like, dude, losing your hair. What age did you start losing your hair? I mean, if you, in reality, I probably didn't think I was losing my hair till this last year or something. But I was probably, you know, I had entradas forever in my life. How did you deal with that? Were you like, oh, fuck it, cool, whatever? Or I didn't, you know, I really try. There's certain things that I that I'm pretty good at, which is like if I can't control it, and you know, like my the white hairs or whatever. Like, trust me, this is what I tell people. I didn't, exp I wasn't trying to go for the full white. I was cool with salt and pepper, and then one day to the next, it should turn white on me. No, like, but it looks great. Let me tell you, it looks it's great. Too it's too late. No, it looks great. It looks great. But in the mustache, it stays. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. Somebody asked me, uh, actually a mutual friend of ours, she thought I dyed it. I'm like, I, why would I dye my mustache? You know? <laughs> um, but, but yeah, no, I don't know. I, I I just, I really try to make those the least things that I worry about. You know, I mean, I do worry about like my health and, and, and regular things like that. You know, right, I, right. I'll go to the gym and, and trying to eat better and weight and this and that. But 
when it comes to like, you know, facial hair, if I lose my hair, if I gain my hair, if it turns white, if this, that, you know, if I got a big nose, if I got a big head, I just, early on, I was like, you're not going to be able to change those things, you know? So you just got to move with who you are and, and, and just make it a part of your persona. And yeah, I don't know. I, I just don't think about that stuff much at all. To be Which honest. is awesome. Listen, dude, I, yeah. I think that's another winning factor that you have, bro, because that stupid shit, bro, it'll, it'll consume your whole life. You know and, what I'm saying? You know what's crazy to me that I've thought about a lot that, that I really like want to examine even more? It's funny how as you age in life, the, the perception how people see you changes as well. Like I remember when I was really young and I was out, outside a lot. I don't know if it was because I was outside a lot playing ball or whatever and I was maybe more tanned or whatever. People used to th they would think I was Mexican or Puerto Rican and never Cuban, right? Then at one point, I guess maybe because I had built my people just knew I was Cuban and it just kind of like permeated out there. Then everybody saw me as Cuban. And then once 9-11 hit, everybody thought I was Arabic, <laughs> you know, and all of a sudden I'm Arabic. And then people were like, you're, 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 where, where, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, where you none of those fucking places, guy, you know, and it's like, and then, you know, like, it's just weird, man. People used to say I, I looked, I looked like a, a mean gangster dude. And then I get a white beard. And now, you know, then when I show old pictures on this, yo, your face look crazy gangster. I'm like, right, right. you know, it's just funny how time changes perceptions of people and what they, the way that they stereotype you and stuff. It's crazy. That's why I like talking about this stuff, man, because just like you have now, maybe you never thought about it. I got a real young following. I got dads and I got mm -hmm. kids, bro, that are in high school and they're at that point. And I've I've done research and I've heard a lot of people talk about this. The front part of our brain as a as adults, males, bro, it doesn't happen till we're like 24, 25, bro. So yeah, the man. amount of stupid shit that we do mm -hmm. and we look like men. You probably look you probably look like you were in your maybe older at a very young age. So nobody gave nobody had empathy for you. Right. And so it's like you learn a tratazo like this and that and you make these mistakes. So I think empathy, which I think you have a lot, bro, helps us blend in together and help each other versus judge each other or put each other down, man. Which is to bring that up, getting into now drink champs. I love that you guys celebrate people you celebrate their success you have fun but that you celebrate people when that show started to get put into play mm -hmm. what was your mindset going in how did they sell it to you how did you like did you think of it like how, how did that happen yeah no no that was our brainchild myself and nori um the actual drink champs calling it that was was more on my end um, something that we used to say in my in my studio. Nori was around when we started saying that, and he was a part of that. But we, it was like a, a, a saying that we had. You're not a drink champ if you couldn't handle your liquor. We were big drinkers in, in my studio. We would hang out and big bottles of Bacardi and vodka or whatever. And I always thought I liked the ring of it. So I went ahead at, at some point and said, man, let me see if anybody has the .com for this. Oh, nobody has the .com? Well, I grabbed it. Anybody have the nice. Twitter and the Instagram? Nobody, oh, I'll grab it. You know, let me trademark it. Let me copyright it. Let me create a logo for it. And that was parallel of us actually trying to do a podcast that originally didn't have a name. And when we finally and, and there's a it's a long story. We, we were doing a show on XM before even Sirius XM merged uh, out of my studio here in Kendall. And it was me and Nori. And it sounded it looked and sounded like drink champs. And then we stopped doing that. We, we were doing it for free, just for fun, for marketing. We did it for like three years. XM, Sirius XM on various Three years. channels. Wow. How yeah, many times yeah. how many times a week? Once a week. 
Okay. Once a week, it was an hour show. It's called Militainment Crazy Raw Radio, which Nori named it. It put everybody's name associated in the name. Una <laughs> locura. Uh, so, so then, um, you know, I got put onto podcasting by another local Kendall homie, Godfrey, who's in the in the podcast Hall of Fame. He has a show called Gamer Tag Radio. It's a gaming slash kind of like hip hop podcast. Nice, nice. Yeah, and he had always been. He had been since the internet radio days. He had always been advocating you know, for people to do like podcasts. And he would tell me, yo, that thing you used to do with Nori, you should do a podcast. Fast forward. It took me a while to convince Nori podcasting wasn't a thing in hip hop. It wasn't cool. It was looking at like, if anything, people saw it as an internet nerd thing. Um, He finally got on board after a few years. I had the name ready to go. And when he was ready, he's like, all right, cool. Yeah, let's call it Dream Champs. And I had the logo done by my homie Scam, another Miami native. Who's famous nice. for doing the the artwork on the Eminem album? He, he oh, has a song with Eminem. You know, yeah, he's a he's a hip hop legend. He did the uh, Tribe Called Quest beat Rhyme and Life album cover. This is a guy from Carroll City. No way, scam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of history here, man. That people just don't know about. No, we don't know. Like, Hell yeah, bro. We don't know yeah. about that stuff. So, and and real quick to set to side thing, um, I wrote an article for MTV when the MTV Awards were here around early 2000s. And they were doing a week long on a blog on MTV.com where they had select like celebrity bloggers. I don't want to put myself like it, but they had like Luke and different people and they asked me to do some. I wrote an article called Miami's Lost Hip Hop Scene. That article is it's hard to find, but it's still in the internet somewhere. But I would advise people if they want to learn a little bit more about Miami's hip hop scene, uh pre-trick, pre-Ross, pre-pit, go to that go. Go to that article because without that scene, that history, there's no trick. There's no, you know, pit. But maybe trick because trick kind of comes from the Luke side. Yeah. So, Wait, so yeah. Um, let me no, ask you. Hold on one second. No, okay. You mentioned something about an artist. This guy just popped into my head. You remember a guy named Mellow Man Ace? Of course, Cuban dude. I talked to him on, on through through he's Instagram. Cuban from time. Miami? You know what? <laughs> no, he's Cuban from LA. He's from. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you about Cubans from LA, which goes back to me and my family. The Cubans everywhere that got spread out throughout the country. Uh, in, in New Jersey, I had a family in Union City. That's the Cuban like like stronghold in, in New Jersey. Did and you ever read at Portos? Did you ever read at Portos? In where? In, in LA? Bakery? Yeah, in yeah. LA. You ever read yeah, at Portos? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, huge. it's popular as shit. Raul was just, Raul's my boy. Raul uh-huh. was just on the show like maybe five episodes before you. Yeah, I'm super proud. And my family now lives in Downey, which is like the little Cuban hub of LA. Um, but just to go to show you back then, even though I was in LA, I never like it, it could have been like I was in Miami because the Cubans created these social clubs where all the Cubans from around uh, Southern California would like go to these different social clubs and then the social clubs would network and they would have like dances for the teenagers to meet each other. Hell yeah, and they, hell had, yeah. they had dominoes, they had a little bar, they had a daycare for kids, and mine was called Cluor Guinero. And um and it was in South it was Southgate and that's where Cypress Hill and those guys are all from and uh Mellow Man Ace is Send Dog's brother Send Dog is Cuban from yeah. Cypress Hill and Be Real's half Cuban. No um, way. So Cypress Hill's pretty much Cuban, you know. No way, bro. I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, and if you ever and I knew that immediately because they didn't never said it, but they put out one of the songs on the album was in Spanglish, and the automatic you would automatically assume they were Mexican coming out of L.A. But when I heard the song and I started to hear the Spanish slang that they were saying, these were Cuban, Cuban 100% slang dude. words. Yeah. So I was like, oh, these guys are Cuban. And then later I found out Melo Manes is Sendog's brother. And, and Melo Manes is, is a legend and a pioneer 
for especially Latinos in hip hop. Really? Mentirosa was the name. Mentirosa, bro. Yeah. Spanglish, bro. Wearing the guayadera. That's how you knew right off the bat. I was like, this guy's cute. I thought he was from Miami too. Really? Uh? Yeah. Dude, there, there's some special. I. It's how I found you. I go, wait a minute. This guy's fucking Cuban. And I go, I go let, let, let me talk to this guy because we don't, I don't know the new wave of Cubans of how they view it or, or anything like that. But there's a certain pride that comes with us and people that come out of places like Kendall that that aren't like the sexy places of Miami, right. you know, that you that you don't think of like, wow, you know. So yeah. I'm I'm extremely proud of that, man, and that, that you uh, that you brought that up when when you started Drink Champs, when did you know you're like, dude, we got some here? Immediately, we we filmed the first couple episodes, but we were meaning to come out just as an audio podcast. Um, we had got our distribution with CBS Radio, which was also connected through my homie Godfrey, uh, who had Gamertag Radio. And so we filmed. We were filming all the episodes, and and we filmed the Fat Joe was the first one we were going to release, and we were, we put out some teaser clips, and these teaser clips went viral. Went and I remember I had to go to South by Southwest that year. Um, and it was like maybe a couple weeks after we released the clips or the or the week after. And I remember everybody, the buzz was there already. People were like, yo, you're doing that podcast with Nori and da 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 da. And people were, and this was just a clip that we had put out. And then um, and then I remember talking to people like, okay, what's a successful podcast? I just wanted to do something on the side. And this time I wanted it to make some money, at least cover its overhead. But still, it was something we we're just going to do for fun. It wasn't thought of as like it's going to be our main gig. Right, right, right. And they were like, oh, if you can get like 60,000 listens in like a couple weeks on on the, on the per episode, you can make a couple thousand dollars a month. I was like, all right, cool. It'll cover the, the cost of doing it, and we'll have some fun. Man, that first episode came out, and it clocked in at like 300,000 listens. Wow, bro. And we had immediately shot up. You know, in the music, like in the music podcast charts to like number one and 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 CBS radio was like floored by it to the point where we didn't make a dime for six months on CBS radio because it's sh it shot up so quickly. Their advertising people didn't know how to sell it because a it was a new podcast. The subject matter was just like out of control, like all over the place, controversial right. at the time. You know, we're like the Howard Stern of hip hop. Yes. And then but. Our numbers were so high, they had to charge high. So it was hard for them to like sell it to advertise. Like this is you have to pay high for this new content that's a little controversial. And it took six months for us to get our first advertising check. And then from that point on, it was you know it was crushed. Favorite guest you've had on so far? Um, there's been a lot, but I always go default to 50 Cent, man. It was that was a really dope episode. 50 was good. Guess you want to have on that hasn't been on yet. I want to dig deeper to the pioneers of, of, of the culture before we lose them and get more of that history on tape, like a cool Herc or a grandmaster flash or the cold crush brothers. And, and just some of these older guys that I feel like could benefit from our platform and maybe any young guys that, that listen to our, you know, or watch us can, can kind of get some game off of that, you know? And then, you know, I want to have like the, like Kanye and Jay and, and those type of folks. We almost had Kanye and Jay's, He's watching every so often. We get yeah. He always talks you know, about it. Yeah, yeah, for yeah, sure, for so, sure. So yeah, man, those those regulars and and Drake is also a, a fan of the show and has communicated that he's down to be on the show. So it's a, I think that's the quarantine crazy. screwed up the the Drake visit, but that's gonna happen sooner or later. How do you how do you pick the guests? How's that process go? Is it like three of you, four of you? 
Do you throw names into a hat? Do you do like an example? You go, okay, I won Grandmaster Flash. And right. somebody goes, are you crazy? That guy's about to die. We don't want that old guy. How does that process work? Um, mainly it's just myself and Nori that decide. Nice. And I, I like to give Nori a lot more of the say. Not, not to say that I won't say something, but because he's the driver of the conversation. You know, he's the artist of, of the show in that sense. And I want him to really feel good about doing it because it's not going to benefit the guest if Nori's not into it. Because Nori will agree. If I really want someone, he'll be like, yeah, sure. But then, like, if you know, like. Yeah, like, just checked out. He's checked yeah, out. So He's I want him hyped, just as hyped as I am. So, you know, we'll both sit there and we'll brainstorm. But really and truly, man, Drink Champs behind the scene is super unorthodox. It's all over the place. Me and Nori are yin and yang in the way we do business. And that yin and yang is the, the good and the bad of Drink Champs. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's the reason why Drink Champs works, because it is an unorthodox type of show. But it's just as it is in front of the camera, it is behind the scenes. So it's, it's, it's all over the place. And I also tell people it's like being a firefighter. A lot of times, the way we pick guests is they come to Miami because they're here, and they hit us up out of the blue and be like, yo, I'm in Miami. You guys want to do Drink Champs? And it's like that fire alarm. We go, you know, we we just put on our suit and let's rock and roll, which is not conducive to family life, but it is the way we do the show. That's uh, that's why communication. You gotta yeah, Yeah. communication with the with the future wife, and go go listen, babe. I gotta go, but we're gonna make up for it tomorrow. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. We got about eight minutes left, E. So let me, dude. You've done this so many times, bro. You've done already so many interviews. You've done a lot of podcasts. What, in your opinion, makes them good, man? What makes a good interview that you're like, you know what, bro, this is good? I think just getting the raw person, you know, that they're not talking guarded. Um, If you can get them to speak frankly and speak, you know, from the heart and kind of say what's on their mind, then that's a good interview to me. Um, I think every single person has something, you know, in them that, that we all need to hear everybody's story you know we could all learn from and if you can get that out of people then that's a great interview i agree bro i agree e i think the world came to you right now bro i think this is your time man i think you're you're now gonna really start to showcase your talent and how you pop in to conversations and your style and i think a lot of people a lot of kids and a lot of podcasts are gonna start mimicking a guy like you that sits there and just knows how to almost like you're the conductor this right. guy's out there screen eh, cool and you're conducting like whoa 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 whatever whatever man and i'm so proud of you and and i wish you nothing but the god most success bro in keeping that confidence and keeping this flow with what you have man because i really think this right now especially after quarantine where people need originality they need positivity they need encouragement it's really your time dude so i really really want to encourage you to keep keep doing that bro before we go man any questions for me anything i can help you with i mean i I would just also ask people to check out i have a podcast called fatherhoods um it's it's like it's me and two homies and we have a lot of artist guests and it's like fatherhood from from the hip-hop perspective and and then you know talking to hip-hop fathers basically and mothers, we had Angie Martinez talking about raising sons in the Me Too movement, and Bun B talking about being a grandfather. So check out Fatherhoods on on all podcast platforms. You can say something. Yes, mm. hip hop dads. Now that you yeah. did, you mentioned that. What do they have in common? 
Um, they don't have anything not in common with any other dad. We're, we're just all the only thing that, that I think there's just a stereotype on on hip hop and and men in hip hop that would make them not good fathers. You know, that we just we see them as deadbeat dads. And that's just not the case. It's never been the case. Not anybody I've ever met or known. Um, and we're trying to like basically like crush that that idea. That stigma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally agree. Totally agree with you there. Any other things? So we had father. Fatherhoods, and then Fatherhood? we got com coming home the documentary series where I traveled. Which to you crushed? Which you crushed? Which you did very, very well in that. Anyone new place coming up? Yeah, we're in post production for South Africa. That'll be coming. We're like Kenya or something like that, or Cape South Africa? Cape no, 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 South Africa. Cape Town, Cape Town, Cape Town, and Johannesburg. Um, and then we never released uh, our Columbia film, which is we only did private screening, so that one's still yet to be uh, put out publicly. If your son can do one thing, bro, would you have him go in the music business or or no? I want him to do, and my daughter, I want them both to do whatever they really want to do. But I want them to understand that if they do pursue the arts, that, you know, it's just not an easy road. And they need to, it's not about money. It's just go in there and just, just you have to do it from genuine passion, not because it's a, a really smart career move necessarily. Be prepared for a lot of heartbreak. Uh, e, last question, bro. What makes you happy, man? Right now, my kids, seeing them laugh and smile and, and, and being able to provide for them. That's what makes me the happiest right now. Are they going to speak Spanish? Of course. Uh, they're already speaking Spanish. You just speak Spanglish, to them in Spanish? Spanglish. I speak, to, I speak to them in Spanglish. My mom speaks to them. Well, my mom speaks to them in Spanglish, too, but more Spanish than English. And, and so they, they understand. They're bilingual right now. They, is the boy going to play any sports? Oh, I would love him to play sports. I love them both. I want my daughter to be a ninja. She's going to do gymnastics and, and, and karate. <laughs> what is the first thing you're going to put your son in? Do you, have you thought about that yet? I haven't thought about it. But whatever he gravitates towards. I, I really don't want to be one of those helicopter parents that dictates what they have to do. I want to like put a couple things in front of them when they're young and see which one they kind of gravitate towards. I love you said that. So I just had yesterday, I had John Jay on the show. You know John Jay? Yeah. So his dad did the same thing. Put boxing gloves, put a baseball, put a basketball, football, soccer. The kid went baseball and all the way through. E, I promise you, if E Jr. gets into baseball, he's, he'll have free baseball lessons from me for life. I appreciate it. I promise that, you. Love. We'll get him going and we'll and I'll get you and I'll teach you the thing. We'll Tough. hook him up with all the stuff, everything, bro. So Tough. so we could uh, get that going. Dude, you gotta talk to my homie Dream Big, uh Dream Big. Well, he does Dream Champ Sports and he's Dream Big Hip Hop. And he's Let's got a platform all about sports. You got to, you guys got to connect. What I, I what I'm gonna do is, and I'm gonna talk to you now more when when I get off of this. Anything that I can help you, you tell me for free. I got you. Appreciate it. You, whether it's somebody to that you want to give a little bit platform to that's different, or bro, somebody to help clean the studio. I'm gonna help you with anything that I can do, my man. No, that's dope. Appreciate right? that, man. Of Likewise. course, of course. Boom. There was. Thank you so much for subscribing. Thank you for listening. Shout out to my man, DJ EFN, for taking the time. Remember, guys, forever, number one, number one, to keep going hard and do your thing. Love you guys. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello 
Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.